Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. We're going to start a new series in Job. Job is in the Old Testament. If you want to take a little time to go ahead and get there, you can do that. It's in front of Psalms, so go back that direction, kind of the middle of your Bible, and then go toward the left, all right? Job is where we are going to be. And um, as you're turning there, a couple of things. First of all, you heard Donnie talk about the summer of service, and we really want to encourage you to be involved in what God is doing here at the church. There's so many cool opportunities, one of which uh, we will feature every week. Uh, Another thing that I want you to consider is this. Can you believe that it is June? Can you believe that? Like yesterday, remember yesterday we were under snow? You remember that? Just like yesterday, that was just not that long ago. It's like, I don't know, like six months ago, right about that time, about that time. And six months is exactly what we're asking people to give. It goes that fast. And so if you are not yet serving in a place in our church, let me encourage you to sign up for six months months, okay? You can serve in a number of different areas. We will equip, train, and help you, encourage you, and there's so many cool opportunities, and all we're asking for is six months, and I think everybody can do that, especially if you haven't served before. There's so many cool spaces. We're going to have a sign-up sheet and booth in the lobby here in the next couple of weeks, and the cool thing is if you sign up to work six months and if you sign up for this training that we're going to have, a a dinner and all this kind of fun door prizes, that sort of stuff, you will receive a free t-shirt, all right, designed only for uh, summer uh, servants. So Sign up for that. Look for that. Make sure that your name is on that. And some of you may be saying, man, this is a rip. I've been serving for like six years and I haven't got a t-shirt. Well, he couldn't, we ordered you one too. All right. So go and sign up and get that t-shirt. Be a part of that. A couple of weeks ago, we were down in Benton running some errands and shopping and doing the stuff you do uh, when you're in Benton, uh, Arkansas. And we decided to eat at Tamales. Raise your hand if you have eaten at Tamales. All right. We saw it. We thought, this will look good. We haven't, we haven't eaten there before. And so uh, we went in there, Tex-Mex, that kind of stuff. It was a normal setup. Uh, they take us back, drinks, you know, the chips, that sort of stuff. And they give the boys these uh, uh, coloring sheets, crayons, that sort of stuff with the kid menu on it. And then this pack of these five or six like colored strings, you know. And, and um, I had never seen that before. It was like a toy or whatever. I'd never seen that. The boys hadn't either. And as we're settling in there, we're getting our chips, salsa, all that kind of stuff. My second child, Leland, all of a sudden says, this isn't food. And then he holds it up like this. He had opened that pack and tried to eat one of those those straw things. And in his defense, I thought it was candy too. I thought it was some of those like sour straw candy. That's what it looked like. And that's what he thought it was as well. So he pulled it out, tried to bite it, holds it up and goes, this isn't food, you know, kind of like he was shocked as, as we all started to laugh and point at him because um, that's the kind of encouraging family that we are. And that happens sometimes, right? There are things that appear to be one way, but in reality, they're not. They appear to be a certain situation. A, a person can do that to you. You meet somebody and they, they appear a certain way and then you get to know them a little bit. It's not the way it goes. Or there's a new vehicle announced, right? And you're thinking, this is my dream car. I've been waiting for this. And you go test drive and you're like, I don't, I don't like this thing at all. You know, there are certain appearances that on further observation or, or investigation, you realize 
this isn't the way that I thought it was going to be. And we just kind of live with that. That's how life is. Sometimes you're going to be surprised by yourself and your own observations. But, however, we need to question those things. Sometimes we need to question the things that just appear um, on the surface and see if they are true. Sometimes when we read biblical stories, like the one we're going to read today in Job, we go to the text with all sorts of preconceived ideas, some assumptions built on, you know, just what's there and, and what we immediately kind of take away from it. To be honest with you, a lot of our assumptions come from like coloring sheets we got when we were kids in Sunday school. And we carry those and we start to understand the text in that way. And so this morning, what I want to do is hold up a few things and say, is this really, is this really the way that we understand it? Because I believe that some of those coloring sheet concepts are keeping us from really experiencing and understanding what it is that God is trying to say to us through the text. All right, let's pray together and then we will look at a few of those. God, thank you for your word and thank you for Job. Thank you for a church that gathers together and celebrates baptism. God, celebrates diversity and, and being together in theological and backgrounds and all that sort of stuff that comes together. God, we come together different, but together to worship you. So Lord, in, 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 this, in this group of people that are built the way that you would have us be wired to be, God, I pray that we leave here today leaning ever more faithfully into you in circumstances, particularly those circumstances in which we do not fully understand. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. Job chapter 1. Like I said, it's a seven-part series. We're starting today. It's going to go through kind of the middle of July. It's a big book, and you may not be fully uh, familiar with the story. You probably know something about Job, right? Good guy and a bunch of bad stuff happened to him. And you know that even in our, in our secular cultures and in our common culture, uh, they'll refer to Job. And so we're going to look at that a little further. To be honest, most people are really kind of familiar with the first chapter and the last chapter and everything in between. Them, that's, just a, that's just like three people talking until they pass out, right? That, and so that's what's going in there. And sometimes when you're reading it, you're like, I'm about to pass out. You know, this guy's just talking too much. And so we, we jump over that kind of middle section. But this morning what we're going to do is just, just kind of uh, nest in or, or look at chapter one. That's what we're going to do. Before I read any verses to you, though, or with you, because you're going to read them, you know, with the one you got there on your lap. Before I read those with you, there's a couple things that I want to say about Job. And they'll, they'll help us going first, going forward. First of all, Job is um, not by itself. It's not an isolated story. And you know that because it's in the Bible, right? It's in the 66, but it's furthermore in a different section of the Bible. There's sections of the Bible. Did you know that? There's um, a section called the Gospels. There's four of those in the New Testament. There's a section called the Epistles. Those are letters. It's a word that means letters. It's not the wives of the apostles. Epistles means letters. So that's a section that's in there. In the Old Testament, there are three huge sections that are called history, prophets, and then like the poetry and wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is there in that section. And it consists of Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes are poetry. They are that way. Now, that may be shocking when you first think about it, because if I was going to ask you, which section would you put Job in? I think most of us, without thinking, would put it in history. It's a story that happened. And, you know, there's different reasons for that. But, honestly, it is a, it is a poem, a very big 
poem. That's what's going on with Job. And because it's a poem, it causes us to look at it differently. So like the historical books, like Joshua and Esther, they are there to tell us what happened. That's what the historical books are for. Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, all that sort of stuff. The prophetic books, like, um, like Isaiah and Joel and Amos and Obadiah, they are there with the voice of God speaking truth into a situation. That, that's what's going on there. So when you look at the historical books, the first thing that you are asking is, what happened? That's, that's what's happening in the history books. When you're looking at the prophetic books, the first thing that you are asking is, what did God say? When you're looking at the wisdom literature or the poetry, then you are called into the text in a way that makes you think deeper about um, concepts and circumstances within your life. That's what poetry does, right? Even like roses are red and violets are blue and I love you or something like that. It's really calling you in in a really, you know, kind of lame poem, talking about the deeper concept of love because you're trying to communicate Love in this uh, some sort of way. That's what poetry does. And so when we are looking at Job, it's first and foremost a poetry. It's a prose. And that means that we're going to approach it with sort of different rules than we're going to approach uh, texts like Joshua, uh, like a history book or something along that way. The other thing that happens is the question that it asks. So, okay, if Job is poetry and it's in the wisdom literature, then it's, then it's forcing us to sort of ask a question. And so you got to, well, what question is that? What question does Job ask and then hopefully answer? Most people with a, with an initial sort of, um, uh, basic knowledge of Job, they'll, they'll come to the Job text with this question of why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard that question? asked before. A lot of people ask that question. It's a, it's a good question to kind of think about and to think through. And we think that Job is saying that, but, and I don't want to like bust your bubble or anything, Job is not asking that question. Job never asked that question. And in fact, if that was the question that Job was asking, it never answers that question, and it surely doesn't answer that question in a satisfactory way. Job is not asking and answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Job is more so asking a different question. And one of the ways that was interesting to me to kind of understand it was to see how, it, how Job plays with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs ask and answers this idea or this concept. It says these truisms that are, if you do good, generally speaking, good will happen to you. That's generally the concept of Proverbs. All of those little things that happen, the little two-liner Proverbs that happen, you do this, then this will happen. If you do that, then that will happen. You don't want that to happen, so do this, because this will happen. That's kind of how Proverbs go. If you train up a child in the way they shall good, when they are old, they will not depart from it. Generally speaking, that's true. And that's the way that we are supposed to live our lives, generally to that concept, right? But then Ecclesiastes comes along, and Ecclesiastes says, yeah, but not always. And and there's nothing wrong with that, because if you've lived longer than, I don't know, 15, 14 years, then you know that that's, that's not always true. Sometimes you do good things, and you get bad. Sometimes you, you do bad things, and they get good, because you wouldn't do bad things. But sometimes bad people, they do, they get good things, you know? 
And so Ecclesiastes sort of says that in this way that it's really kind of depressing, you know. It's like very, uh, I don't know, I think more like poetry. And so he says, yeah, well, vanity of vanities. That's kind of, that's kind of what Ecclesiastes is saying over there. This is generally true, but not always. So what Job does is it steps into this scene. Job steps into this wisdom literature and this proverbs and all that kind of stuff and says this. If it's generally true that good reaps good and bad reaps bad, but not always true, then how exactly does God run the world? How exactly does he do that? Because I believe that God is sovereign, that he's all-powerful, that anything he wants will happen. I believe that. I also believe that God is just, that he rewards good with good and he rewards bad with bad, or the consequences of bad is bad. But that doesn't always look like it happens from our perspective and from our point of view. And so Job is really not asking a why do things happen question. It's asking a how does God sort of question. It's really asking more so how does God run the world? How does God make decisions? How is God figuring all of this out? Could I maybe understand what it is that God understands. And so initially speaking, before we even read any text, one of the things that maybe appears to be one way but is not another is that Job is not a historical book. It's a, it's a wisdom literature book. It's a proverb or it's a poetry. And it's not asking a why question. It's asking a how question. That's hugely helpful as we begin to read chapter one, two, three, all the way through the rest of the book. So that's one thing, but another thing comes to light in the text. Let me show this to you. Let's read a couple of verses here. Job 1, 1 through 3 says this, And there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. One of the questions that scholars or biblical students will ask, one of the first questions that you ask when you look at the book of Job is, was Job a real person? A real flesh and blood person? And you can see why people would ask that question, right? Because from the very beginning, this guy seems too good to be true. Perfect integrity. The greatest in all of the East. The greatest person who has ever lived. Also, you've got these like super round numbers with the animals, right? 7,000 sheep. I counted twice. There's only 7,000, you know? And then there are some goats and 3,000 camels. And it just kind of seems like this doesn't, it's too perfect. It's too complete. It doesn't, it, it can't be real, right? That's what it sort of feels like. When we go, but to be fair, the author of Job is not trying to communicate that. He's not trying to communicate that Job was perfect and that he never did anything wrong. He's not trying to communicate the exact number of goats and camels and sheep. He's not trying to communicate any of that. What the author in the poetry is trying to express is that... Uh, Job was exceptional, both exceptional in his character and he was exceptional in his uh, estate. He was an exceptional human. 
So it's not trying to communicate whether or not he was a real flesh and blood person. It's just trying to uh, communicate this, this exceptional example of humanity. The other thing comes right there in that first line when it says, there was a man in the country of Uz. Now, we don't really know where Uz is. We don't know exactly where that place is in ancient territory. But in fact, some literature communicates about Uz like it is a, um, a not real place, like a, a far off land. The same way that you would say uh, Timbuktu, right? Well, they were all the way out in Timbuktu. That's kind of the way that Uz is sometimes used in ancient literature. Timbuktu is a real place, but we use it as this concept. Nobody's ever asking, well, exactly how far is Timbuktu? Nobody ever asks that because that's not what you're communicating. What you're communicating is this far off land. And so when you read it that way, or when you start to look at it that way, it looks like there was a man in the country of Uz named Job, and he was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. It sounds a little bit like in a land far, far away was a really, really great guy. That's how this story starts, and you wouldn't be wrong for reading it that way. One thing that we do know about the country of Uz is that it is not in Israel. And I really like saying us is. That's just something I enjoy doing. The country of us is not in Israel. And so what that communicates to us is that Job is not a Jew. That, that's what we do know for sure. He is not somebody who is under the Mosaic covenant. He does not practice the, the, um, the rituals in the same way that the Jews did. He is not a person under the promise of God. He does not live there in Israel. And so what that communicates to us as we look at this great man who lived in a country far, far away, that this is a universal concept. That whatever is about to happen in the book of Job does apply to you and to you and to you. I don't live in Israel, and I live in a land far, far away. And so this concept isn't just something specific. Sometimes we'll read the Bible and we'll think, well, that happened because David lived in this time, or, or, or Moses lived in this time, or Abigail was living in this time. But instead, what it's communicating is this idea is that in this poetry, as we consider the ways of God, what we need to understand is that the ways of God apply to everyone, everyone. That's what's being expressed here. Now, for some people, the very notion or the questioning of whether or not Job is real or whether or not the land of us is a real place kind of makes you uncomfortable. It makes you start to, like, I don't really like asking questions about that. And to be honest with you, I'm more so in your camp on that, asking those sort of questions. But it should not make you um, uncomfortable or, 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 or feel out of place because... The Bible has a lot of stories that feature people that tell us about what, what God does and the way God is that are not real. For instance, when David was confronted by Nathan for his sin with Bathsheba, Nathan told him a story about a man who had one sheep and his neighbor who had lots of sheep and really kind of told David what God thought of his sin by using a guy that wasn't real. And in the New Testament, we know that Jesus... Um, often told stories about people that were not real flesh and blood stories, like prodigal son or the good Samaritan. And so the idea that Job may not have been a real person does not and in, in no way confronts the concept that the Bible is completely and totally true, that it is sufficient, that it is good for us to uh, read and to understand that God is in complete control of the process by which we get the Bible. 
We can have absolute faith in this Bible. Now, some scholars say that Job is not real. Some scholars say that he is real. I've always been in the camp that believes that he is real. But either side, it doesn't change the meaning of the story. What it does is, and my point is simple, we need to always ask ourselves, what did the original author intend for us to learn from this story? And this one isn't history or geography. That's not the point. This is poetry, and there's something more universally deep that we should hope to wrestle away from these pages. That's, what, that's the way that we start to approach Job. There's some other reasons that I want to get into here in just a second. This next one is, is um, really good. It broke my brain, okay? Um, and hopefully it'll break your brain too. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan... Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. So this first thing that I want to point out, it's in uh, verse 8, it's also in 9 and on, is the word Satan. Now, how many of you in your English Bible... The one that you're holding there, whether it's on a screen or if it's print. How many of you have Satan with a capital S? Look at that. Some people have been raised their hand before I was done with the sentence. People knew. Satan with a capital S. All right? That's because we use it as a name. But in Hebrew, that word isn't capitalized. In fact, the word is hasatan. Hasatan. Ha being the definitive article. The. The Satan. And Satan is a normal Hebrew word, and it means challenger. It means questioner. So, later on in the New Testament, this individual, the person, the real person who is leading the forces against God, this evil person that we call Satan, Lucifer, the devil, that person is given the name in the New Testament, Satan, because of this meaning. The challenger, the accuser, that's what his name is going to be given to him in the New Testament. But that's not what Job says. In fact, what Job says is the challenger. If you were going to translate it just um, directly, it's the challenge. Then the Lord said to the challenger, have you considered my servant Job? And the challenger answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? So it's interesting because it more fully brings up the idea of the actual question that Job has asked, the book of Job has asked, does Job fear God for nothing? Is that how this all works out? Now, could this character be the devil? The one that we think of with like, we know that he doesn't look, but in your mind, you know, you got like the, the horns and the pitchfork and the tail and all that. Kind of, we know he doesn't look like that, but in your mind, could it be that person? Absolutely. Absolutely could make sense. That, that's that way. But let's look at something else. It's this whole courtroom scene that's happening here. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. I mean, what does that mean? 
What's going on in that story? How do we fully understand that? As I first read it, and, and maybe you weren't this way, but as I was growing up, I always kind of understood that concept to be like these um, delegates where they go out and they kind of learn a bunch of stuff about the world and then they come up and they tell God. And I know that God knows everything. So in my mind growing up, I thought, maybe this is how he knows everything. He's got spies, not spies, uh, delegates, uh, uh, people that go out and learn this stuff. And maybe that's what's going on. That's how my mind was working. I don't know how yours kind of built all of that out, but that's, that's the way that my mind was working. But then I have to ask myself, is that the way that God knows everything? And the answer to that question is no. God is what we call omniscient, which means he just knows he knows all the things. He doesn't have to have anybody tell him anything. He's omniscient. So that's not what's going on in this text. That's not the idea that is being portrayed here. Reminder is, or the, the reminder is that in both of these scenes, uh, the scenes that are going to play out in earth and in us and the scenes that play out in the heavenly courtroom, that there may be something different going on. It may be this projection, this imagery to help us to understand what's going on. One commentator said it this way, and I really love this. The book of Job tells us more about how God does what he does on earth than how he does what he does in heaven. It's not really about that. It's not really giving us information that we are going to fully understand in this world. So, this is my hope. I hope to cut through the way our brains work when we read this story. We get caught up in the drama and miss the desired message. This isn't about good versus evil. And I know that y'all are much smarter than me. But that's the way that I always held it up. That was like God on his throne and then evil came in and there was going to be this clash. And sometimes the strength of good and the strength of evil gets caught up and we humans get, get kind of chopped up in the middle of it. That's honestly how I always read and understood Job. But that's not at all what's going on. God is sovereign. And there is the sovereignty of the Lord. He is in control. And even when we are able to get a glimpse of what he does, we don't fully understand it. This is really one of the driving ideas of the Bible. So just reading the text and trying not to read into it, you have this challenger to an idea. God says, Job is perfect in integrity and fears God. And the challenger, a person, stands up and says, but does he just do that for no reason? But doesn't he have a reason to do that? That's the concept that's brought up there to the front. So the challenge is presenting, um, not for God, but for us, this question. God knows the answer to all of these questions, but for us, it's this question. Is God duty-bound to give good people good things? Is he obligated? Are his hands tied? Is he obligated to only return, when, when there are bad people, to only return evil upon them? Is he obligated to? That's the question that really the challenger is asking. Does Job fear God for nothing? You see, that's the, that's the concept that really comes up in our minds. That's the concept that is trying to be pushed here and revealed to us. So again, there's a few things that don't seem to be the way that we first initially take them. Now, don't hear me say that they cannot be. You may read this and you choose to believe and you read through scholarship and there's a lot of scholarship that believes Job is a real person. Absolutely, that's great. There's nothing in the text that would say um, that that cannot happen. There's also 
Uh, no reason not to believe that the devil walked there and, and, and challenged God and his thoughts. So I don't want you to hear me say that you cannot believe one way or the other. All I'm saying is that the emphasis is on this concept of how does God manage his affairs. And of course, in the next section, verse 12 through 19, it's the part that you know. God gives the challenger authority or the ability to strike at Job. And in a second, in an instant, in a matter of moments, Job loses every dime he has and every child that he has. It's a terrible scene. It's a, it's a, it's a scary scene to watch. And it all unfolds on top of Job there. So there are these things that happen that maybe don't appear to be exactly the way that we first look at. Maybe they do. But there's also things in the story that are absolutely concrete. There are things that we can absolutely understand and see. Look at verse 20 through 22. Then Job stood up, tore his robe. This is after he loses everything. And he shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Two really big concepts. Let's say that we're going to put one in our right hand and one in our left, and we're going to carry these as we go through the book of Job. And the first concept is this. God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely all-powerful. So we have to take one theory off of the table. Sometimes when we go into situations in which they feel out of our control and they feel bad and they don't make sense, sometimes maybe down in our heart of hearts, we might question in our minds, maybe God was powerless to affect any sort of change in this situation. Maybe God couldn't do anything better than what happened. And you'll even hear good-hearted people say things like that. But that's not something that you get from the Bible. And that's definitely not something that you see in Job. The reality is that God is omnipowerful. God is sovereign. Even in the council chambers, God alone gives the authority to the challenger to take the wealth of Job. These delegates give an account to Job, or give an account to God. He is ultimately in complete control. And as Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It is within his power to do as he wills it to be done. Job 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Colossians 1 16 through 17 says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. God is, to just put it in the most simple terms that I can come up with, God is God. He's completely in control. And, the other side, Job is righteous. Job didn't do anything to deserve what he just got or what he's about to get. Job is completely righteous. Now his friends are going to come up and they're going to say things like, surely you're hiding a sin. Surely you're reaping what you sowed. You have some secret sin that nobody else knows and now you are getting your just desserts. And that's their perspective because they don't know everything. But God has told us in verse 8 that Job is completely full of integrity, that he is right, that he is righteous. He did not do anything wrong. And in verse 22, it says throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Job is right. Of course, Job's friends and his wives cannot, and his wife, they can't know this, but we do. It sets up that big question. 
if God is completely right and just and powerful, but then I observe things in this world that don't seem to flesh out with that, how does God run this world? How does it work? That's the question that you get when you are in chapter 1 as you walk up to God. It's the question that's going to be asked and answered all the way through the book. And so since this is the first week of Job, I'm not going to answer that question. You've got to come back, all right? You've got to come back for the next couple of weeks because we're going to unpack it the way that Job does. How does God run the world? But this morning, before I let you go, I do want to speak to something very pragmatic and applicable. To those of you who are now, but hopefully in the few, not now, but at some time, obviously, will suffer. You will go through hard things. I want to speak to you because as a pastor, so often people will come to me and they'll ask this question. Pastor, what do I say to my friend who they just lost a child? What do I say to my mom? She lost her job and she's not getting any, she's not getting any offers. God, what do I say to my neighbors when the tornado came through and took out everything that they have built and owned in their lives? God, our, our, our pastor, what do I say? And the reality is, as you know, there's often not anything that you can say. There's nothing that you can say that are going to make all of that better. And so right now, before it happens, hopefully, uh, you're not suffering right now. And so before it happens, let me say some things to you that might help you in the future. And the first one is this. You are not Job. You are not Job. Now, I say that for two real reasons. And the first one, and I mean none of this sarcastically, and I mean none of this um, heartlessly. But the first one is, you're not suffering just because things got hard. Sometimes in your life, things are hard or they're against you because of the consequences of your own dumb. You're not Job just because something isn't going your way. We live in a world, right, where everybody thinks God is against them simply because they couldn't find a parking space close enough to the Walmart. We live in a world where when one person disagrees with you online, all of a sudden you are infringed upon your right to speak. You are not Job. You are not always suffering, okay? I want to say that from one beginning because as we talk about this in a deeper way, I just want to say from the very beginning, for some of you, toughen up, buttercup, because you're not suffering. Life is just hard sometimes because we live in a broken world. That does not change, let me say this, that does not change the reality that some of you are suffering through very hard things. And it hurts. And they are big concepts. And so maybe for some personalities, and not every personalities, but let me just say this to you, it could be worse, right? And I say that with love. Sometimes that just sounds like trite, but I don't, I'm saying that with love. Okay, the tornado took out everything you own, but everyone you love is still alive. You're not Job. He lost everything. You lost your, your, your job, but you have friends, you have savings, those kind of things. And it's not, that's not to say all of that's horrible. It is. But it could be worse. And so I just, I'm trying to speak to you like shepherding, right? You may not be suffering. If you are, it could be worse. The, the, the next stage of that I just want to say is you don't deserve it. Look, I know biblically, and I hold this doctrine, it's called total depravity, which means we are broken really bad. All of us. 
We're broken really bad. However, I also hold this reality that sometimes you go through things and through your tears, you ever held somebody who's crying and snotting on your shoulder saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything wrong. I worked good. I was a good employee. Why did I get fired? You ever felt that? You ever seen somebody else that way? You ever, you know, somebody loses a, loses a family member in a car accident and they were driving legally and the other person wasn't and they walk away without a scratch. That's not fair. That's not right. They didn't do anything wrong. Job at least opens up this concept that you're allowed to stand in that says, you may be going through something and you didn't do anything wrong. You're not to blame. You're not wicked. We don't have to assume that you're doing something wrong and hiding it. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong in this situation. But as hard as it is, I want to encourage you. You can praise God through this situation. You can trust him. You may be tempted to give up. You may be tempted to walk away. But as you've heard me say many times, and I hope that you will hear me say it when it gets tough, don't doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. Don't doubt those things. It was true when things were going well that God loves you, and it is true that God loves you when things are going not the way that you planned. Don't doubt those things. You can do this. You are a uniquely strong person. So praise him in these horrible situations. Know that he is God and he is sovereign. And while you may not understand, you can trust that he knows what is happening and that he has a plan in it. You can do this. You know, as I said earlier, when I talked about where us is and where us is not, when I talked about that, I said that that Job is not a Jew. He's not under the covenant promises of the Lord. But, and here's a beautiful thing, you are. Not the covenant promises of the Jewish people, but the covenant, the promise made between you and Jesus. When you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and he said to you these words, I promise you, I shed my blood for this. I had started something in you and I will finish it. I will never leave you nor uh, dismiss you. I will never abandon you. No matter what you walk through, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Job doesn't have that, but you do. If you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, you can praise God in these circumstances because Jesus is with you in these circumstances. If you will trust him, if you will walk with him, In fact, can you think of a better illustration or a better example of a righteous person who has done nothing wrong suffering than Jesus? He did nothing wrong, and yet he suffered for you. So you can trust him and walk through your circumstances with him because you have Jesus. I think the bottom line here is that things aren't always as they appear. And in reality, too much of life we can't explain just from our point of view. We don't have all of the information, but in all of it, we can trust God because God does know. He does understand. And that, in that, you can trust him. On Thursdays, our uh, like 
It's predominantly our younger male staff has decided that they're going to go and play um, basketball. They're going to go play basketball together at the Don Owen Center. And uh, they talked me into this even though I'm old, all right? And we, we went out on Thursdays and, and we're playing now. And I've gone twice now. And I've got to say, as much as they said it was going to be fun, it is not. It is horrible. Everything hurts. My lungs were on fire at one point. And this last time, I broke this leg. I know... I know you don't believe that it's broke, but this muscle right back here doesn't work anymore. So if it doesn't work, it's broke. All right. So I broke this leg. There's all of the, they're, the, they're like all really good at basketball and, and they, they're embarrassing to me. I'm the oldest one there. I was the oldest one there until Daryl came, but Daryl plays, played college ball. And so um, now I'm getting beat on both sides of all of this. And it's humbling. It's humbling when your staff just embarrasses you and then laughs at you and that sort of stuff. And they do that. And I decided that I needed to buy some basketball shoes, right? Uh, I needed to buy some basketball shoes because I don't want to roll my ankle. And that's what I read on the internet is what I'm supposed to do. So I, I, I tried to buy these basketball shoes. And it's confusing. There's all sorts of brands of basketball shoes. There's Nike. There's Skechers. There's all sorts of things. I don't know what to buy, you know, and I'm asking people. Uh, and everybody has an opinion on what I should wear on my shoes, right? My kids have very strong opinions about my basketball shoes. My wife has very strong opinions about my basketball shoes. The guys that are beating me on Thursdays, they have some opinions. They think it should look like this, looks like that. So I go to the Nike store and I ask the people there and I say, what shoes should I buy? You know, I'm trying to play basketball. I was like, I'm not really an athlete and um, I'm just trying to do this, you know. And, and they were like, these ones over here, these are KDs, right? And these are LeBrons. And I said, what does that mean? And they were like, it just, you know, it's just whichever basketball player you like. And I was like, I don't like basketball, you know? And so I was like, which one is going to make me better at basketball? And they just laughed and they just kept laughing, you know? There was one pair of shoes that had a lion out the back of it. Like on the, the back right here, it had a lion on it. And my son was standing there, Amos, and I said, I, I like these shoes, but I don't like this lion. He goes, you don't like LeBron? I said, I don't know. I've never met the man, but I don't. I don't like a lion out the back of my shoe, okay? It's just something I don't like. I saw a pair of shoes that were $350. And I shared them with my friend, and he said, are you going to pay $300? I said, it says game-changing technology. <laughs> and my game needs to change. Is that how much it costs? I don't know. You know, they're blue, so let's do this, you know? So eventually I bought a pair of shoes. Just some plain old Nike basketball shoes. No athlete has endorsed them. There's no lion or symbol. There's nothing. It's just a pair of shoes. And what I realized was when it comes to shoes, nobody can tell you which ones to buy. There literally is no expert. There's no like one person that says, those are the shoes. It just comes down to what you want, right? And that's frustrating. It's confusing. All this is happening and I don't know what to do. And that happens right with like, our life comes to relationships, loss, pain, careers, changes, pandemics, natural disasters, finances, the stock market, all of that. And you're looking around going, I don't know what to do. And I didn't do anything wrong. Except you have God. And God is all powerful. And he knows and he loves you. 
Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.